0: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Soul Blazers podcast. Co-hosts Amanda Ware, our Christmas queen and founder of Hello Holidays, and Dr. Carol Osborne, our multi-venture guru, are ready to sit down and share their stories, insights, and wisdom to inspire aspiring trailblazers like you who are gearing up to start your own business, seeking personal growth, or looking for that spark to set your soul ablaze. The Barbie movie. Uh, Amanda and uh, did not plan to see the barbie movie at the same time but we did amanda went with her sister-in-law and her daughter and i went with my 18 year old son max who had been on a date with a girl to see it and came home and said mom i think you're really gonna like this movie let's go so just max and i went on a movie date to go see barbie so I have a lot of thoughts and a lot to say about the Barbie movie, but let's back up and talk about Barbie and did you play with Barbies? Did you have Barbies? Was Barbie a thing for you? What were your favorite Barbies as a kid?
1: Yeah, I, lo- I loved Barbie. I loved changing the clothes. That was what was so fun about it. Cause it kind of went from like cabbage patch dolls. You couldn't change their clothes. You could just sniff them and hold them to, Barbies where they had the possibilities were endless and I yeah so I played with them all the time my grandmother's house uh I loved my Barbie dream car and all that as soon as my son started driving I bought a convertible I I said that I'm like I've wanted a convertible since Barbie days and I I did it's not pink it's black but same so yeah I've always been a fan of Barbie and I did not want to see the movie I was like I, I just well wasn't interested until it came out and I started reading the reviews and seeing the quotes and on the pieces on TikTok and I was like oh I gotta see this
0: yeah I loved Barbie as a kid I was always more of a baby doll person than a Barbie doll person I loved I'm a midwife right I loved babies and I loved carrying little baby dolls around but I definitely had Barbies I remember having one that had this like pink velvet suit. I remember having like swim Barbies. I grew up in a like typical 80s style neighborhood that had a like neighborhood swimming pool. And I can remember taking the Barbies to the pool and playing with them in the pool. I had a mermaid Barbie at some point for sure. I definitely also had like Dr. Barbie. And my grandmother, my dad's mom, made me a dollhouse that was definitely for, like, little bitty dolls. But I can remember putting my Barbies in the, like, dollhouse for little dolls. Uh, I think I had the Barbie Jeep. Actually, in fact, I know I had the Barbie Jeep. Yeah, I mean.
1: Did you? I had the case that you put all your Barbie, yes. and you carry it around. Almost like a suitcase. Yes. And that was your thing. Your all your favorite Barbies and your favorite stuff went in this like case.
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, And that same grandmother made clothes for my dolls with me and I would pick out the fabric and stuff. I don't remember so much if there were Barbie clothes or just baby doll clothes, but yeah, I definitely remember that. And you know, I also though, very much remember being bothered because I was interested in medicine and science, being bothered by like the feet and like, why are its feet like that? And like the generalized bizarre anatomy and you know, like, why does Barbie look so weird? Um, And I remember being really bothered that Barbie's joints weren't fully articulated that, you know, Barbie could only do the splits uh, (laughs) and that the knees didn't bend all the way. Um, So I both loved Barbie and also was like really puzzled by Barbie being real-ish, looking real-ish, but not, you know, anatomically correct.
1: I never noticed any of that until I got older and was like, "Oh, why is Barbie got to be so perfect? That's annoying. That's why our culture's messed up." So that's why I didn't want to see the movie, as I was like, "Oh, we're gonna just all drink the Kool Aid." To miss, and then it was the movie was not stereotypical what I was expecting.
0: Yeah, I honestly hadn't read much about it, didn't know much about it, and really thought it was just like uh live-action Barbie, like a Barbie story that was live-action. It was so not that. Yeah. So what were, like, what were the things that you sort of stood out to you in the movie?
1: Well, one, it's hilarious. It was just hilarious. The, It was smart. It was smart funny. It was not cheesy funny. It was Whoa! Did you hear that? Like, you need to go watch the movie again and take notes because the girl's hilarious, and the way the whole mind shift of uh, the patriarchy and messing it up—it was like you went into Barbie World and there was no, there was no patriarchy, and having that shift, I can't—I never thought about it. I guess I'd never thought about what it would look like if women had, if there was, if everybody was equal, or if whatever. So.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: I got to
0: get these while you're doing that. I'm listening. I think that, I think that it's so well-timed and so poignant and kind of of the moment. And, you know, I love that it was sort of, fight the power, fight the patriarchy, but at the same time, you know, you can't help but kind of feel sorry for Ken, right? And like, oh, Ken, you have been disregarded. Doesn't that feel bad? Poor Ken, you know?
1: Are you Ken enough? Are you Ken
0: enough? Yeah, that's hilarious. And so I think it just does such a good job of highlighting how, uh, highlighting, but in a light, funny, easily acceptable, not approachable, not, not gonna like raise anybody's, you know, hackles kind of way. I, I love the sort of satirical, like poking fun at the whole thing. I mean, you know, I've always liked America Ferreira, but I felt like her character and just the sort of way that she really embodied that was fantastic. And I'm a big fan of Weird Barbie. Like definitely, I have a younger brother and he and his friends definitely turned my Barbies to Weird Barbie. And, uh, you know, my favorite part about Weird Barbie is Weird Barbie was the like doctor, right? Weird Barbie fixed everybody. And I I just feel like that. I think you're right. Like it's something that I'm going to have to watch again. And I can't remember the last movie I watched more than once.
1: Same, same. Uh, Weird Barbie was my favorite on there. She was. And I think that's funny. I felt the most connected to Weird Barbie in a way of like, that I felt in her, like just accepting, or just like she's not going to be the same. I, I my, my old self would have been definitely more into the connected to the Barbie, and now as I get older, I'm like, I want to be with weird Barbie. I want to be <laughs> with weird Barbie. <laughs> I am weird Barbie. Is, is that ever? Did everybody that watched the movie feel that way?
0: I don't know, but I think probably a lot of people did, and I think as as somebody who works in women's health. And was so bothered by the lack of Barbie being anatomically correct. The closing scene of Barbie, you know, it's like Pinocchio-esque. Like Barbie chooses to become fully human and go into the real world. And, you know, her sort of um, closing scene walking into the gynecologist's office, you know, is like hilarious of like. Yeah, I mean, there are some real advantages to Barbie anatomy. You don't have to, you know, deal with the the reality of real world physiology or the patriarchy uh, in Barbie land. But it also really kind of pointed out for me how important Barbie land is to be able to teach girls and Barbie has taught girls with all the different kinds of Barbies that the limitations, to be able to imagine without limitations, without having to, you know, fight the power and just be in Barbie land and drive the dream car and all of those things. You know, I would have said prior to this movie, I would have probably erred on the side of Barbie's not great for kids because It sets unrealistic beauty standards and unrealistic ideals and body dysmorphia and all of the things, right? But I feel like the movie has really shifted my concept around that, sort of. How? In so much as just really pointing out the positive of how much that, sort of early play can inspire kids that maybe don't know a woman who's a doctor don't know a woman who's a pilot, but Barbie was, you know what I mean?
1: Totally. I think we've talked about this and Chad and I have talked about this, that growing up, we never were around powerful women. Like that just, there just weren't a lot of like women doing stuff, like older women, like in charge or building, you know, I just didn't have that really my experience and so watching that it was like oh my gosh the thought if if you if this gives opportunity it felt like barbie was opening opportunity for bandwidth for kids and girls to like hope have more hope and belief in themselves and belief in the system and the belief in each other
0: yeah i think so
1: it didn't feel like girls were very competitive they weren't trying to out beat people they were all teaming up together it wasn't a competition there just was and that's what I love that was really like so relaxing that part like there was no one was competing there was no girl fights there was no girl drama
0: totally but it was really funny I thought it was hysterical when it became you know whatever it's called when it's Kinland uh, that to just watch like you know, the president and the Nobel Prize winner go to, like, maid, you know, the maid uniform and the, like, bartender and, like, can I get you a beer and whatever. And, like, you know, just hilarious stereotypes that really draw out the contrast, right, of, like, you know, what happens when you take the default position of being submissive to whoever your kin is right and at the end it really comes to and i agree with it's it shouldn't be either or it should of course be both and like there's plenty of room for Ken to be more than a sidekick and for barbie to be more than a maid right, right. and that it's uh it's important to really say it's not you know, patriarchy or matriarchy—it's—it's it's equality and both, and getting to a place of truly peer-to-peer interaction.
1: Yeah, that was that team. That whole part was—it was just a—it was just a different take on the. I just wasn't expecting it. I'm so glad that we we went to see it <laughs> I know. I really was not going to go see it. I really—I I mean, it took it took my sister-in-law in Georgia saying. We should go see this because georgia had already seen it and she yeah
0: and what do you think georgia's takeaway is where like what do you think georgia thought
1: you know i that's the kind of thing like i felt like georgia didn't understand it because she already has this like she already is a little bit more i don't need anybody to tell me who i am
0: (laughs) i love that
1: where i am like i need everybody to tell me who i am (laughs) So let me just act like you tell me to, right? And that was so, that so going into it, she liked it, but it wasn't like inspirational like it was for me, like, whoa, exciting. I, I don't know, it's funny. My 14, almost 14-year-old 14 daughter, and I definitely looked at it differently. But it was, that was fun.
0: I think that speech by America Ferreira is going to be one of the ones that sort of, uh, you know, is repeated a lot and is is a bit of a cultural milestone of saying like it's impossible to be a woman like I I think that's a really important thing you know if I sort of think about the pendulum swing between sort of my mom who was forced to kind of like play the boy game in the boy world as one of only a handful of women in a dental school class of a couple hundred guys. She and her generation had to kind of like just, it was the era of like the power suit and shoulder pads and women were able to make progress, but only by essentially kind of taking on male characteristics and out, out manning the men in some ways. And then, you know, if I look at me and my friends, a lot of us took, you know, took those cues forward, but from a place of how do we do it our way, not just play the boy game. And there was many, many more of us who were in, you know, med school classes or my PhD program classes or whatever. And as I look at the way my generation did it, there was a bit of a throwback of like, I want to be a stay at home mom and I'm making that a conscious choice and I don't want to be a part of the workforce. And I think for the generation before us, that was a little bit alarming. Like we did all this work to make sure that you had all these opportunities. And what you're telling me is you want to like be a housewife and like, I think that was a little alarming for a lot of, sort of the generation older than us. And now as I look at our daughters, I just kind of wonder like, you know, what's their thing gonna be like? What's their version of it gonna look like? And what is that sort of swinging pendulum for them? And it's so fascinating to look at you know all the different sort of dynamics and shifts around how girls now versus sort of our generation are really seeing it as more of a truly equal playing field and if anything i feel like as the mom of boys you know boys are struggling of you know, the culture hasn't really adjusted to figure out like, okay, well, what does that mean for boys? And for, you know, if you look at like college application rates, boys are actually applying at slightly lower rates than girls. And yeah, it's just fascinating to think about in a couple of generations, how much progress there's been in one respect and sort of where the sort of balance point is gonna hit. Uh,
1: Talking about that, Karen, I I have seen you in rooms where you are with all men and you are the the one talking, doing all the talking because you're the one that knows all the information. Tell me about doing that. Tell me about what the journey for you of going into your career, I mean, you're a midwife, it's mostly women too, going into being the only woman in the room or being the woman, the chief woman in charge with all men. Tell me what that looks like and how that feels in a world where that's not, as much as we wanna say everybody who embraces it, they don't, I know that they embrace you, yet I know that had to take, that had to be a journey to get there.
0: You know, it's interesting, even in, midwifery and in healthcare, in the rooms of decision makers in the rooms with the business people even though the business was a women's health business it would still mostly be men so when i went in to meet with like executive teams at the hospitals or like the business development teams or certainly the teams at like the insurance companies there would be other women there but not that many and often the person who would ultimately decide what happened would still be a man. So that's been true for me a lot of my career and definitely like in the bourbon world, that's very male dominated. So, you know, those are the rooms you've been in with me where I'm talking about bourbon and bourbon tourism and all that stuff. And, you know, you and I, or you and I and one other woman are the only women in the room. I think it is something that definitely feels different than being in a room that's more balanced. You know, it's silly to say I don't think about it, because I do, but I, that's, you know, almost always been the case for me. I studied biology. Like, a lot of my training was mostly men. So, I, don't, you know, I don't really know how to think about it other than, I find myself definitely code shifting or, like, reinterpreting things to fit the audience for sure.
1: So in my experience with you, I could be wrong. It feels like you're really welcomed. Like, it, in my experience, when I've been in with, with you and other and men, and you know, they want you there. It's not like they're, like, uh, they don't. It's, they want you there. They embrace that. Well, my experience in my past is that it wasn't the women that it wasn't the men who didn't want the women in the room. It was the men's wives that didn't want the women in the room, and it was the men's wives who didn't want the men to go to lunch alone with women doing business. And I don't know if that's a patriarchy thing. I don't know if that's a Southern Christian, let's just protect our marriages kind of thing. But it's feels like, and I'm trying to not bring my emotions into this because we might want to edit this out later, but it feels like, almost like, in my experience, the women are not for the women moving up. If they were, they they wouldn't question why their husbands were letting those women in the room, right?
0: I do think that's a thing. So I think like in a lot of aspects of American culture, the tension between women who've chosen not to be a part of the workforce outside the home and women who have chosen to stay at home has created this uh, push and pull that is unfortunate in so much as I think it can be threatening for women who've chosen to stay at home to see women who've chosen to work in the workforce and have kids and, you know, be a mom and a boss, right? And I think that's really more about our own sense of where worth comes from and sort of feeling secure or threatened and the whole concept of women being threatened by other women is really sort of a symptom of a marginalized population, right? It's coming from a place of scarcity. There's only, you know, so many girl seats at the table and if you take one, that's one less for me. Or if you are you know, juggling a busy career and kids and I don't feel like I can do that because I can only focus on my kids. Then somebody, you know, my husband or other men seeing you do it is going to make them expect me to do it, mm-hmm. and that you're, you know, you choosing that path is going to put additional pressure on me to do something I don't want to do. Or, you know, it's part of it's part of America Ferrera's speech. It's part of why it's impossible to be a woman it's why it's uh, impossible to do it there's no right way and i think the only way that we overcome any of that is to say you know there's a million right ways to do it and to stop judging each other and stop being threatened by each other and really focus on our own growth and our own security and our own you know real comfort and authenticity around whatever our choices are. I mean, you went through the like being a working mom and then you always say you like quit working. That's not true. You were ever you were never totally not in the workforce, mm-hmm. but you had more exposure to the sort of stay-at-home mom crowd and that whole ethos than I did. I admire people who choose to stay at home with their kids. I honestly couldn't do it. Like, I found being at home with especially little kids completely exhausting. And was it I wasn't wired for it. It wasn't for me. I don't have any judgment about people who choose to do that. That's an incredibly tough job and should absolutely be as supported and rewarded by society because parenting children is incredibly hard work and really, really important to the overall health of a community, country, society, however you wanna think about it.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking like a lot of um, stay-at-home moms work for Hello Holidays. I feel like they are stay-at-home moms and they work for Hello Holidays because most of their kids, they've given their kids all the tools for success. They've poured into their kids and they've made their kids incredible members of society or they're about to be incredible members of society and I was thinking like they did. They poured all their energy and all their tools into making sure their family had, you know, what they needed. Now their kids don't need them as much anymore and Hello Holidays has them and it really is impressive. You know, there's a really good, women can do more and I do respect the women who do do a good job of taking care of the homes and some homes I know the husbands are gone so much pouring into their career it'd be just too hard to have someone not there and that that is it's tricky it's tricky and I don't there's just no right way that's what I think I'm as like I think for so long I was my one perfectionist was like there's a right way and there's a you know there's no right way and no one's doing it right and no one's doing it wrong like it's got to it's a, hard, it's a hard one. The whole woman thing is hard.
0: <laughs> right. It's hard. Yeah.
1: And the, and as soon as you start comparing yourself to everyone else, you're definitely not going to feel like you have it right. Like, if you start looking at what everyone else is doing and what you're not doing or what they're not doing and what you are doing, you're you're definitely not going to feel right.
0: Yeah, so I think that's the big challenge is how do we as a society and how do we as mentors to you know Abby and her roommates and you know our daughters really teach that like there is no value in comparison there is no value in judging somebody else's path we're all on our own paths you have to do what's right for you what's right for your individual family what's right for each of your kids what's right for your spouse that is Those decisions are so personal and so individual. And as much as there may be a way that is perpetuated by your church or by your sort of uh, social group or, you know, what your political party says is the right way to do it, those are divisive positions to take. And I just think that we're at a place where, man, we need unifying uh, unifying forces so desperately and the time for division is way over. And in fact, that's one of the things I really liked about the Barbie movie was this sort of banning together. and. You know, everybody's a Barbie, right?
1: I, I, I'm definitely a Barbie because I'm all of them. Like, I want to do that for a day, that <laughs> for a day. That, Barbie is a seven on the Enneagram. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. For, for sure. sure.
1: And she only looks really great when she's stressed out.
0: Right? Yeah.
1: And I'm like, Barbie does not look that perfect with a convertible, y'all. If you have a convertible, you don't care about looking perfect.
0: There's no looking perfect when you've got wind in your hair, but man, you feel pretty perfect. Oh, I feel
1: good. Yeah, I feel, so I don't care.
0: That's right, and I think if people could focus on, if we as women could focus and help each other focus on joy and what makes everybody's heart sing, like, you know, what makes your heart sing? If it's driving a convertible, go for it, girl. You know, if it's driving a minivan, do it. It's
1: practical. I Love minivan. your minivan. Yes, I love my minivan when my kids are little. It just makes life easier. Uh, I came, I told you Monday my big weekend thing was like the whole, my whole life I thought if I look pretty I will feel pretty and that'll make everyone else around me feel good and I'll feel good and that's just not true. Like, <laughs> that's just not true for me. Yeah. Like, I feel real pretty when I'm not dressed up to, not, if I don't have makeup on or I'm not all fixed up and I never really let myself get there. So I didn't know, I just assumed, because I was, you know, I picked up that. that. And so it makes me laugh, because Barbie might look perfect, but she don't need to look perfect. She gonna feel just as confident in any outfit she's in.
0: Oh, for sure, for sure.
1: Look.
0: Well, go Barbie, Team Barbie. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it uh if for no other reason than just basic cultural relevance so you can talk to the whole rest of the world that has been to see it and i think it's great yeah take your sons and your husbands absolutely thank you so much for listening to another episode of the soul blazers podcast kara and amanda your soul blazing big sisters are just laying the foundation for all of the amazing things to come If you want to stay up to date on new episodes, be notified of any discounts, or get a glimpse of what we are working on behind the scenes, go to soulblazers.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Until next time, Soul Blazers!